Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. The following program contains adult content explicit language, and sexual themes. Listener discretion is advised. And it contains murder. Lots and lots of murder. You stinking bastard. People tell me, you say, you're going to die and go to hell. I think someone's wrong. Is that for 911? Where's your emergency? Oh, this is Especially at first, uh, enormous amount of, of, of horror, guilt, remorse afterwards. But then that impulse to do it again would come back even stronger. Diagnosed as acutely delusional and sadistic, rabbit-loving Sheila Labar murdered at least two of her boyfriends on her remote farm in Epping, New Hampshire. She said she once died of a drug overdose and was sent back to Earth as an angel with special powers to reap revenge on pedophiles. She would seduce slightly built transient men, move them into her place and completely dominate their lives. Then she would torture them into confessing to being pedophiles on tape before killing them and burning their remains. Hi, I'm Barney Black. I'm Tara Saravan. And I'm Kate Wallinga. And this is a Bloody Murder crossover with... Ignorance was Bliss. Hooray. Kate, would you like to tell our listeners a little bit about Ignorance Was Bliss? Sure. I started my podcast after people were asking all these questions on their own shows about why did this happen or what does it mean to be not guilty by reason of insanity or whatever. I used to work as a forensic psychologist and crisis clinician, and so I knew a lot of those answers, but oddly, people didn't know to come ask me the questions on their own. So I started my own show and it has kind of branched out from there to being normal crazy as well as forensic crazy. <laughs> All the kinds of, it was a rainbow of crazy. And you're quite prolific, aren't you? How many episodes have you done in the last 18 months? A billion. Um, yeah, a billion. She a overtook billion. us a while ago and we've been going a full year more than she has. Yeah, wow. <laughs> yeah, I think I just dropped 130, 129, something like that. Jesus Christ. This is 115 for us. Neener, Neener, yeah, Neener, Neener, you know, so there, I, I beat you. Oh, oh like, no, <laughs> Well, it's not a competition. Well, it is, but well, we it lost is. We're losing. Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so I it's get all right, to we're used to it. Yeah, so you turn right back for the occasional two or three of my listeners that haven't 
heard bloody murder yet. What do you guys do? Well, we're a comedy true crime podcast that focuses on some of the lesser known crime stories from Australia. And indeed around the globe. <laughs> That's our one-liner. Uh, but we, um, we're a humorous podcast, which puts a lot of people off because they just assume that we're like, murder, lol. Uh, but we make a lot of effort to tread that line and ensure that our humor never comes at the expense of the victims or their families. But at the expense of everybody else. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, particularly the perpetrators. <laughs> we go for them. They've earned it, I would think. Yeah, for sure. To be on our show, they've earned it. I mean, we only cover solved things and we only cover things that have um, usually uh, that have actually gone to court and everything. So Yeah, we, we were like a third act to our play. Yeah. Uh, yeah, conclusion. Fair enough. Um, and also, like, um, we're not sort of banging on and, and talking shit about people who may or may not be guilty of things usually. See, I just indulge in wild speculation all the time, so you're much more well-behaved than I am. Well, we find that difficult to believe. <laughs> well, you're qualified to engage in mild, mild speculation too, or wild speculation. Wildly mild speculation. We're not even qualified to speak. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. So now, before we commence our sordid tale, we need to remind you this episode is brought to you by our wonderful, generous, and amazing patrons. Oh, they are fantastic, aren't oh, they? Thank you so much. Too. If you'd like to become a patron to either Bloody Murder or Ignorance Was Bliss, visit our websites. Uh, those will be listed in the notes to this show. Okay, Kate, let's get murdery. Let's. Sheila K. Bailey was born on the 4th of July, 1958. She and her five older siblings were raised in the small mill town of Fort Payne, Alabama. Her father worked building roads and his hobbies included drinking heavily and sexually abusing his children. Sheila's hospital worker mother, Ruth, had married her father after becoming pregnant and considered it a life sentence, regardless of what her husband did to their children. Sheila was a very smart child, a very quick learner, who was never in much trouble. But oh, how things would change. Oh yeah. Her childhood friend, Anthony McAnally, said... Sheila really blossomed in high school. She entered a junior Miss pageant, and her talent was reading a poem she wrote. She was a knockout. Well, she would have been. I mean, is there anything sexier than sexy poetry? I don't think there is. Mm -mm, va va voom. Sheila graduated from Fort Payne High School in 1976 with dreams of becoming a model or a singer. While waiting to be discovered, she worked at a motel with her older sister, Lynn, and then as an admin assistant at God's Waiting Room, also known as a nursing home. When Sheila was in her late teens, she married a fry cook named Ronnie Jennings. After the wedding, their relationship took a turn for the worse. Michael Benson said in his book, The Burn Farm, that according to Sheila, their problems stemmed from the fact that she had a teeny tiny vagina and he was hung like a horse. This relationship does not sound like a good fit. No, it wasn't. <laughs> But according to Ronnie, the problem was that she was violent towards him. At one point, he said Sheila threatened to stab him to death with scissors while he slept. He believed her and stayed up all night. After a particularly heated argument, Sheila swallowed a bottle of pills with a bottle of wild turkey and drove off in Ronnie's car, eventually losing consciousness at the wheel. After being rushed to hospital, she had her stomach pumped and remained in a coma for eight days. Of this near-death experience, Sheila would later claim it was when she became an angel sent back to the earth to rid it of pedophiles. 
After four years of wedded bliss, the couple stopped flogging that well-hung dead horse and got a divorce. Well-hung dead horse. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Don't beat the well-hung dead horse. There are other horses you could beat instead. (laughs) I mean, maybe no horses. (laughs) No, probably not. On New Year's Eve 1981, Sheila, now 23, got married to 19-year-old John Baxter. John already had a young daughter whom he entrusted Sheila to look after while he was at work. Six weeks into their marriage, he discovered that Sheila was mistreating his daughter and was locking her up in a room that was even smaller than her teeny, tiny vagina. (laughs) That's a small room. It's a very small room. It's the size of a Tic Tac. Their relationship didn't make it past Valentine's Day, which is when, Barney? Uh, I think it's July 15th. That's what I heard. John's daughter said, The marriage didn't last very long because as soon as the truth came out about how he was being treated, he ran her off. Sheila is one of those women who thinks everyone is always hitting on them. Men, women, bosses, clergymen, therapists, nuns, cyclists, meerkats, people who make costumes for small dogs, dolphins, pet plants, fence posts. They all, at one point or another, hit on Sheila. According to Sheila. Yeah, she fancies herself, doesn't she? Uh, well, not just her. I mean, the fence posts fancier. And those people who make costumes for small dogs, like, oh, they're just oh, they're not instant right. wood when they look at her. <laughs> oh, no. Despite all the animate and inanimate things in the world wanting to bang her, Sheila used personal ads to find men to date. Her hobbies included photography, planking, and she dreamt of becoming a country music singer. This is how she came to darken the doorstep of widower, Dr. Wilfred Labar in 1987. Wilfred, who went by the name of Bill, was a chiropractor with his own practice who also owned a horse farm in New Hampshire. Born in Norwich, Connecticut in 1926, 60-year-old bone-cracking Bill was considerably older than Sheila, who was 29 at the time. Bill had been an aerial gun specialist in the Navy during World War II before becoming a chiropractor. He and his first wife, Edwina, had two children together, a daughter named Laura and a son named Gregory. Luckily for them, they were adults by the time Sheila entered the picture, so they didn't have to experience being locked in confined spaces by her while their father was at work. Bill and Sheila made a very unlikely couple. He was a down-to-earth, highly respected and well-liked member of the community. In contrast, Sheila drove a flashy silver Mercedes and was prone to threatening people and telling them that she owned guns. Fuck you and I got a gun! (laughs) Yeah, I'm going to get you. Also, do you know that I own guns? (laughs) Hey, baby. Although they never married, Sheila adopted Bill's surname. Before long, Sheila had moved into Bill's 115-acre farm in Epping and changed the name of it from the old Harvey farm to the Silver Leopard Farm. Uh, the Silver Leopard Farm? The Silver Leopard Farm, right? Mm, That's that's (laughs) awesome. It kind of almost sounds like a strip joint. Well, and leopards are a lot sexier than Harvey's. Well, yeah. Yeah, any Harvey I've met. So um, they, she raises silver leopards there on her farm. On, on, the, on her horse farm. <laughs> she breeds silver leopards with the horses oh. and you get houses. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah, that's how you do it. They're furry inside and out. Sheila was so proud of the new name that she actually had a special sign made up and displayed it in front of the property. When the locals drove past, they would piss themselves laughing at how stupid it was. 
<laughs> you lived in this area, didn't you, Kate? Did the locals laugh at it? Is that true? Not in front of me. Did I hit it with baseball bats? They hit it with baseball bats and they threw eggs at it. <laughs> That'll learn them. Oh, it's a it's a silver leopard pavlova. Apparently, leopards lay eggs. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> of course they do. Spotty eggs, and they don't change those spots once they're on those eggs. They stay the same. So I hear. Bill's children were very concerned about his relationship with Sheila and saw her as the unhinged gold digging cunt that she was. His daughter Laura heard Sheila scream at Bill. I'm going to kill the horses, and I'm going to kill you too. Laura said of their relationship, My father was not a fearful person at all, but after Sheila came, his whole personality changed. Not content to just take over his life, in 1990, Sheila decided to take over his business too. Chill Bill and his business partner used to run his practice pretty loose and carefree. His daughter Laura was the office manager, and they let patients pay what they could afford even letting them barter rather than pay cash. Mrs. Jenkins, what would you like to pay for your spinal adjustment today? A game hen? Two old baseball mitts? Live free or die, baby. Hey, baby, live free and die. Did <laughs> you say live free and die? It's both. It's all. <laughs> Do the thing. Oh, live free and, and slash or die. <laughs> and <laughs> live free, I'm going to kill you. Yeah. That's what Sheila changed it to. Live free, you'll die soon. When Sheila took over control of the business, she set up a strict fee structure and ensured that patient appointments went as quickly as possible so Bill could fit more patients in and make more money. She also tracked down people who owed him money and threatened them. Bill's neighbours and the community came to fear Sheila and tried to avoid her at all costs. Sheila also cheated on Bill a lot and their relationship eventually died, but he still couldn't shake her. Bill was relieved beyond belief when Sheila decided to take a vacation from terrorising his patients to go on a trip to Jamaica. While there, she met a tour guide named Wayne Ennis. Keen to establish a new life for himself in the United States, Wayne married Sheila on August 22, 1995. Yes, but before doing so, Sheila made him sign one hell of a prenuptial agreement. It stated that in case of divorce, she would have full custody of any children that the two might have and all proceeds from her singing, songwriting and acting career would be hers and hers alone. Well, fair enough. Yeah. Like, did she think someone was actually going to drive up to the remote Silver Leopard Farm and offer her a starring role in Lady Terminator, the musical, for which she would also write the soundtrack? I'll be back. <laughs> probably not. That's probably not a good job. What else did he say? Sheila moved Wayne into Bill's house, which even Chill Bill found to be extremely uncool. Uh, after realising that wasn't going to work, she and Wayne moved into the apartment above Bill's chiropractic office. Is that much better? No. No, but at least he, he doesn't have to sleep near her. I could just imagine him while he's adjusting someone's spine and there's banging going upstairs and he gets the broom handle and says, Put it down! <laughs> yeah, she's like screaming and beating on her husband and he's just like trying to do a, a yeah. knee adjustment. You're going to hear a slight crack. <laughs> <laughs> oh, baby! No, not, that's not the crack. That's not the crack. <laughs> Though I'm sure there was some involved. Despite her marriage to Ennis, Sheila still chased Bill around with a gun sometimes and twice asked Ennis to kill him. Bill wanted Sheila out of his life so badly that he even bought her a house in Tennessee, but she refused to go. Unsurprisingly, Sheila and Wayne Ennis also had a volatile relationship. 
like cats and dogs living together in mass hysteria. Oh, it can't be done. With both of them going to the police claiming the other abused them. They got divorced in 1996 after 16 months of marital fuckery. Pretty sure that's actually what they write on the divorce license in New Hampshire. I think they did in this case, yes. Uh, reason for divorce? Marital fuckery. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Tiny vagina, huge penis. Marital fuckery. I mean, that's why she got around. divorced yeah. the first time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> there you go. Next up, Sheila got together with her pot dealer, Jimmy Brackett. I'm sure he did other stuff besides selling pot. Why do we have to call him a pot dealer? Maybe well, he made canoes. Well, maybe he made money, like, actually from selling pot, but his canoe-making no. business did not make a lot of money. So, right. you know, I mean, also we don't know that he made it. We don't know anything about him except that he was a pot dealer. We're only speculating that he made canoes. Well, yeah, no, I don't actually think... I mean, we can't libel someone by saying that they made canoes when they well, didn't. Well, we're not saying he made shit canoes. He, made a, he might have made great canoes. He made great imaginary canoes that he didn't make. Well, we knew he's a pot <laughs> yeah, dealer. Yeah, and he sold some pot. Yeah, we knew he's a pot dealer and we knew he had a name. Like, that's a lot. Yeah. yeah. Uh, that's good enough. Also, he'd get in the canoes and he'd row down the river to sell pot on the riverbank. That's how he did it. <laughs> Makes sense. Sure, I hear. Yeah, it was an aquatic thing. Yeah. Aquatic, aquatic potic. <laughs> I, be clear. I don't I'm even know. Keep going. Okay. So all of the blunts they smoked didn't do anything to doll Sheila's violent tendencies. And she cut a seven-inch gash into his forehead that needed stitches. Yeah, you cut my forehead. I'm going into the garage to make a canoe. <laughs> oh, he bled on his canoe. <laughs> Sheila also scratched his face, smashed his teeth in with a large grill-basting brush, fired a gun at him at least twice, and threatened to kill him three times. This is like the worst tally sheet ever. It's not really in order of like importance, is it? Maybe. It depends on Jimmy Brackett. We don't know anything about him. <laughs> well, we know he made canoes. No, we don't know that. We don't know that. Wait, no, we know one more thing about him. When asked about her relationship with Jimmy, Sheila said, I was very gentle and very patient and I cured him of his premature ejaculation problem. I can see how. Yeah. <laughs> He's cured of his getting an erection problem by all of that probably as well. Despite her other relationships, Sheila was still in charge of Bill's business and possessions when he died unexpectedly at the age of 74 in December 2000. His cause of death was stated to be a massive heart attack, but many believe Sheila poisoned him. Bill's estate consisted of the Silver Leopard horse farm, his chiropractic business, two houses in Summersworth and one in Portsmouth. Sheila insisted on being put on Bill's death certificate as his wife, even though they were never married and hadn't been together for years. She also ordered Bill's body to be cremated soon after death. Which is always fishy. Oh yeah, very suspicious. Bill left her all of the properties, making her a millionaire and leaving his children with pretty much nothing. Bill's family were convinced she forced him to change his will. Now living alone at the 115-acre farm, Sheila would hire young men to help look after the horses and the property. Part of their job also seemed to be to have sexy time with Sheila and move in with her. Hey, baby, I'm here to clean your horse. <laughs> that looks like a very dirty uh. horse. It's really dirty. <laughs> My horse is really dirty and I need you to clean it now. <laughs> I feel like that would be how she'd be. Yeah, the poor guy's just standing there cleaning the horse and she comes out <laughs> topless with a tray of lemonade. <laughs> and, well, there you go. It's like all good porn films, walrus, walrus porn <laughs> films start that way. 
<laughs> they do. He's not wrong. I believe him. Mikey Deloge was a slightly built young man who was down on his luck. He'd grown up in the working-class town of West Haven, Connecticut, where he lived with his father, stepmother Joy, and step-siblings. Like Sheila, he dreamed of becoming a songwriter. Unlike Sheila, he didn't expect to become a rich and famous songwriter and actress by victimising the community and never actually doing anything. I like him already. Mikey had a long history of drug and alcohol abuse and limited job skills. He was father to a young son named Aaron, who lived with his mother after the couple were divorced. Mikey moved to New Hampshire in early 2003 and ended up at the Crossroads Shelter for the Homeless in Portsmouth. It was here that he met Sheila when she came to the Crossroads to find a farm worker. She often recruited men in homeless shelters to work on her farm and on her teeny, tiny vagina. (laughs) Hey, baby. Hey, baby. Sheila liked them to be small men. Well, I mean, for obvious reasons. Yeah. With no close teeny friends. Tiny, teeny, teeny, tiny, tiny men. men. So she could put them inside it. Mm. Somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean. Her horses, yeah. These, they had no close friends or family in the area. Men whom she could dominate and control. Men who wouldn't be missed if they happened to just disappear. Mikey's stepsister said he was really funny. He always had a lot of energy. Michael had a hard life, but it was still a life. Mikey seemed happy with Sheila at first. He thought things were finally looking up for him. He liked living and working on the farm and thought he and Sheila were in love. But Sheila is like the ocean. You should never relax or turn your back on her. Mikey's stepmother Joy said... During the summer of 2004, I got a phone call in the middle of the night. It was this crazy woman quoting scriptures from the Bible. I remember her saying that he was a child molester, and how could I let him do that? Sheila also said that Mikey sexually abused his younger siblings, which his younger stepsister says was absolutely not true. In July 2004, Mikey's dad got a letter that apparently had been sent by Mikey. In it, he said he was a child molester and a liar and that Sheila was a hero-like figure who had rescued him from a homeless shelter and spent thousands on him. In March 2005, Sheila wrote a suit for small claims court saying Mikey owed her $5,000. They settled out of court with him signing some kind of financial agreement. In the winter of 2004-2005, Sheila's neighbour, Bruce Allen, said he saw Mikey walking down the road looking horribly worse for wear. It wasn't the first time he'd seen men who appeared to be beaten up and unwell coming from Sheila's place. It was getting to be a regular occurrence. Mikey's face was covered in blood from open wounds and his skin was covered in bruise and was so jaundiced it was a colour of green olives. As he came closer, Bruce said, Mikey, what's the matter with you? Mikey said, Sheila. Mikey walked the 20 miles back to the Crossroads shelter, where he told people about a violent and crazy woman called Sheila who he'd been staying with. She was really into walrus porn too, guys. Did you know that was a thing? (laughs) He didn't say that. Unfortunately for Mikey, he was still susceptible to Sheila's apparent charms. She came to the shelter and talked him into going back to the farm with her. Here, she tape-recorded herself interrogating him about sexually abusing a young girl. 
On the tape, Mikey can be heard going along with it to placate her. Sheila also got him to say that he had fisted rabbits, set fire to buildings, stolen pot and vodka from his sex worker mother, killed family pets as a kid, and worshipped the devil in Connecticut. All of these things are things that she did accuse him of on the tape, like we were not fucking around, and his mum wasn't a sex worker, FYI, and he didn't molest anyone. Oh, I have many, many questions. Yes, such as? Um, I think I might save them for the end, though. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just like the idea of worshipping the devil in Connecticut as a concept. It sounds like a really busy weekend. Yeah, it sounds like... Well, are you going to Crime Con? that's a Tuesday night for us. Oh, I thought it was like Crime Con. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, that's Crime Con, is it? Yeah. <laughs> oh, now I'm going to Crime Con. Yeah, well, there you go. On the tape, she went on to say that most pedophiles did the things that he'd admitted to before they killed children. She also accused him of having a sexually inappropriate relationship with his mother and said that his penis was teeny tiny and small enough to have raped an underage girl without doctors being able to notice any vaginal trauma in medical examinations. So that relationship was a good fit for him. Well, you would have thought, but no. no. She stated that Mikey was evil and was not treatable. Nice one, Dr. Sheila. Yeah. After this tape was made, nobody heard from Mikey again. When asked, Sheila told everyone he'd gone to New Haven which was clearly a lie because nobody goes to New Haven on purpose. <laughs> oh, oh, New Haven beating. Oh, come like at it. me, New Haven. Yeah, come <laughs> at me. I mean, I've been Them's there. Them's fighting words. Not on purpose, no, but no. I've been there. Yeah. <laughs> well, you wouldn't go on purpose. <laughs> nobody would. <laughs> In 2006, Sheila met Kenny County. He was a 24-year-old man from Wilmington, Massachusetts, who operated on the level of an average 12-year-old. He worked at Shields Car Wash, where his boss said he was a dedicated worker but was barely literate, struggling with even the most basic paperwork. He had previously enlisted in the Army but failed to complete boot camp. He and his mother were very close and saw each other or spoke on the phone every day. Lonely Kenny was a regular caller on a saucy phone chat line for people seeking sexual partners. Hey, baby. (laughs) Ring, ring. Hello. Hello. Hey, baby. (laughs) This is where he happened upon Sheila. The two met on Valentine's Day 2006. Ah, 5th of January. That's the one. They had a drink. That's my birthday, bastard. Sorry. They had a drink at the Ashworth-by-the-Sea Hotel in Hampton Beach. After a quick drink, things escalated and they retreated to Sheila's car where they smoked weed and had sex. After hey, this baby. N- hey, baby, how about this backseat? <laughs> After this night of backseat passion, they went out again and Kenny never returned home, not even to pick up his van or any of his belongings. Sheila said she moved Kenny into her house as it was haunted by the ghost of Captain Shaw. Ooh, swab the poop decks. Vasty man lovers. Apparently, the ghost captain tormented Sheila by ghost laughing upstairs (laughs) and trying to push her downstairs. Unfortunately, he was not successful. And uh, she was scared to be there without a man. I guess Captain Shaw didn't like terrifying men. That was Sheila's job. 
Sheila said Kenny had told her he wanted to divorce his parents because his mother had been making him have sex with her since he was a kid. She also claimed his mother tied him with cords and stuck a carrot in his anus. That is not how we make snowmen in New England. No, it's not. <laughs> not how I make snowmen. It's not what I've heard. <laughs> and it's not how you eat a carrot, too. Yeah, well, maybe she was trying to feed a rabbit that she thought was up there. Well, that's how you lure it out. Yes, it is. Mm. Not content with the level of domination she'd achieved over Kenny, Sheila insisted on renaming him Adam. On February 20th, Kenny's mother, Carolyn Lodge, who, by the way, didn't molest him or do any of those things, called Sheila's farm to try and speak to him. When he got on the phone, Kenny was crying. Sheila grabbed the receiver from him and told Carolyn, Kenny is fucking 24 years old, so leave him alone. We're happy! Two days later, Sergeant Sean Gallagher of the Epping Police Department received two phone calls from Kenny's concerned family. After finding out he hadn't gone into work or told them he wouldn't be in for days, his mum filed a missing persons report. She stated that her son had been taken from Wilmington, Massachusetts by Sheila Labar. It was a name Sergeant Gallagher knew very, very well. The Epping Police Department had records of more than 100 calls from her. She also faxed, wrote letters and showed up at the station in person. Sometimes she hired a skywriter. Gallagher had dealt with Sheila personally over 25 times due to complaints either filed by her or about her. Now, the Epping Police Department had a rule that officers had to go to Sheila's property in pairs because if they were alone, Sheila would expose herself to them. In 2001, she'd even tried to make Sergeant Gallagher look at a series of nude photos she had of herself. Officer, officer, you must see this evidence. This sexier evidence. More evidence. And then here's another. Yeah, no, bad. Yeah, oh, 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 the, the evidence looks particularly good in this shot. Hey, baby. <laughs> want to see the evidence from behind? <laughs> no, nobody wants to see that. <laughs> And this one's a walrus. walrus this one's not me. This is a walrus. <laughs> yeah. Do you want to see the evidence with a walrus? <laughs> hey, baby, my tits are a crime. <laughs> At 1 p.m. that day, Gallagher and Detective Richard Cody went to Sheila's farm in Epping to check on Kenny. Sheila's place was located on a dirt road, but it was public property. The road continued through the property, although there was a gate in front of Sheila's house that could block the road. When the officers arrived at the farm, the gate was closed. They parked their cruiser and climbed through the gate's rungs. They walked to the door and knocked, but Sheila wouldn't open it, so they talked to her through a window. Gallagher asked if Kenny was there, and Sheila said no, he wasn't. Gallagher told Sheila they were following up on a missing persons report that had been filed, which made her reluctantly admit Kenny was there. Gallagher asked if they could see Kenny to check on his well-being. Sheila said they couldn't. Sheila said they couldn't as he was naked in the bathtub. Eventually, she brought Kenny to the door, clothed, where he told them there was nothing to worry about and that he was there of his own free will. Gallagher said that he seemed fine and free of injuries. Sheila told the cops to get the fuck off my property. In the following two weeks, Kenny's condition took a bad turn. He was next spotted on March 11th at the Walmart in Epping. People noticed his face was covered in cuts and bruises. Sheila led him to the customer service desk and told the cashier that her husband had just been attacked. 
she said a woman had grabbed him by the arm and pushed him out of the way. They weren't even married. They aren't married, by the way. They haven't even known each other for a month at this point. Yeah, that escalated quickly, huh? The cashier asked if that was what caused the damage to Kenny's face, and Sheila said no, he had been in a car accident. The cashier noticed that he also had burns on his arm and a greenish-yellowish complexion. Kenny was described as being quiet, almost timid. He kept his head down and didn't look at anyone. They described Sheila's demeanour as angry, unreasonable and very defensive. She repeatedly threatened to sue Walmart because of what had happened to her husband. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. At 8pm on March 17, 2006, seasoned Sheila Wranglers, Sergeant Gallagher and Detective Cody responded to a call that a suspicious person was creating a disturbance at the Walmart in Epping. It was Sheila and they were so tired of her shit. She was making a scene about Kenny apparently being assaulted in the store several days earlier. She bought a disposable camera and was running around taking pictures of the Walmart security cameras. When the police arrived, they found Sheila in the frozen food section snapping away. When poor, long-suffering Gallagher asked her what she was doing, Sheila said that she was going to sue Walmart for Kenny's alleged assault. Kenny was slumped over in a wheelchair, his lap stacked with yellow containers of diesel fuel they planned to buy. His skin was jaundiced, he had cuts on his face and hands, a gash across his nose, and one of his hands was horribly swollen. Sheila told Gallagher that Kenny had been in a car accident. She should have said he'd been in yet another car accident, as he was in so much worse shape than he had been when they saw him six days ago. He looked like the only place he should be was a hospital. When Cody attempted to speak with Kenny, Sheila yelled at him. Don't fucking answer their question. Don't talk to them. The officers escorted Sheila and Kenny out of the store, wanting to see if he was even able to walk. Gallagher noticed that Kenny was leaning on a shopping cart and not walking properly. After this interaction, Sheila demanded to see the police report that had been written up about her various performances in Walmart. I think she wanted to read her reviews. She was hoping for a uh-huh. five-star write-up, but I don't think she got one. On March 22nd, Sheila called Gallagher to complain because he had characterized her as a suspicious person in his report about the Walmart incident. Oh, man. Gallagher was holding back. Can you imagine what he wanted to write about her? We probably also wanted to judge her. Here's her songwriting and acting capabilities. <laughs> Shitful at everything. God, I hate her. She's a blight on my existence. Five stars. <laughs> I mean, one star. <laughs> so, you know, some people get those totally backwards. But Sheila also told him that Kenny had left her house and gone back to Massachusetts because apparently the New Haven thing, just nobody believed that. Yeah, well, for obvious reasons. I mean, <laughs> New Haven. 
Apparently, she was willing to take the risk of the ghost she said haunted her property, Captain Shaw. She now was willing to accept that he might come out of hiding and push her down the stairs while ghost laughing. The sea was angry that day. Down the stairs, you shallow vaginate cunt. (laughs) 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 The next day, Kenny's mother called Gallagher. She said she was worried because when she called to speak to Kenny, Sheila had said he wasn't living with her anymore. His mother said Kenny wouldn't go off without telling someone. Getting increasingly upset, she told Gallagher that her son could not be on his own because he had some mental deficiencies since birth. Gallagher and Cody called Sheila several times and left messages in an effort to find out where Kenny was. At approximately 1am on March 24th, Sheila called the man with more patience than a saint, Sergeant Gallagher. He let out a long sigh when she told him that Kenny had left her property days ago. She also said she had important evidence for him and played a tape recording of her interrogating Kenny over the phone. The tape was very similar to the one she'd made of Mikey. On the tape, Sheila identified herself as a justice of the peace in New Hampshire and questioned Kenny about raping children. He said yes to Sheila's questions in a barely audible muffled voice. Near the end of the tape, Gallagher heard a heaving sound and Sheila telling Kenny to stop faking that he was throwing up. She then could be heard saying loudly, Kenneth County is now faking that he is throwing up. Shortly after this, Sheila told Kenny to stop pretending to faint and then said, Kenneth County is now pretending that he fainted. While this tape was playing, Gallagher heard Kenny in the background crying hysterically and saying, why, why, why? Then the tape ended. Concerned for Kenny's safety, Gallagher and Cody went to Sheila's place at 6 p.m. the next evening. We're not sure why it took them so long to respond. All the cops were probably drawing straws to see who'd get this shitty assignment. And then those who did probably tried to bribe their way out of it or quit the police force altogether. Oh yeah, you'd want to. They probably went to New Haven. Well, fuck this for a game of cards. I'm going to New Haven. (laughs) When they arrived at the Silver Leopard Farm, the gate was closed but not locked. There were no lights on inside the house and all of Sheila's vehicles were parked in the yard. From outside the gate, they could see a burnt mattress in the front yard. Gallagher and Cody climbed through the rungs of the gate and began walking toward the house. They went past the burnt mattress and a second burn pile. Using a flashlight, they saw what appeared to be a knife handle with a melted blade, tree limb clippers, a partially burnt chair, and a piece of bone. The bone was around three and a half inches long with a large piece of flesh still attached to it. The officers walked to the door and knocked several times. When no one answered, they returned to their cruiser. Gallagher had a gut feeling that the bone was part of Kenny's remains. Gallagher called an assistant county attorney to confirm he had sufficient evidence to conduct a search of the premises. Cody called for assistance and Officer Jardis responded. The three officers walked to the house and tried knocking on the door again. Hello? Hey, baby. When no one responded, Gallagher kicked it open. What the champ he is. Oh, I love him. I got a little bit of a crush on Gallagher. Yeah, me too. <laughs> at that moment at at that moment, Gallagher heard a noise and saw Sheila walking from the gate towards them as she returned home. Sheila told the officers that Kenny wasn't there. 
Gallagher asked if they could go inside to check for themselves and uncharacteristically Sheila accommodated them. The run-down farmhouse smelt like rabbit shit from the many pet rabbits Sheila let roam free. The floors were littered with clothes and garbage and there were crucifixes everywhere. That sounds like my place. That definitely sounds like your place. (laughs) (laughs) The oven was filled with some kind of charred matter and there was a rotting steak in the sink. Yeah, that's your house. (laughs) (laughs) That's my old place. Thank you very much. Sheila gave the officers a tour of the house. Over here's some rabbit shit. Also, if you look uh, to the left, to the right, and also behind us, more rabbit shit. Oh, have you seen my rotting steak? Yeah, yeah, it's in the that's sink. Where, that's where I keep it. Uh, hey, have a look in the oven here. There's, there's charred, I don't know what it is, but it's charred, right? Pretty stinky, yeah? And over here, I made a look at it out of rabbit shit. In the basement, the officers found a pair of sneakers that Sheila said belonged to Kenny. When they asked if they could take them, she haughtily refused. No! <gasps> Um, she wouldn't let them take them, um, but they told her not to do anything with them because they, they were hoping that they could get a search warrant and come and collect them properly. After the tour, Sheila and the officers walked outside. Cody asked Sheila what the deal was with the fleshy bone in the burn pit. Sheila replied that it was from a rabbit and said that she usually cremated her rabbits herself, possibly while they were still alive. When Cody said that the bone was too big to have come from a rabbit, Sheila became disturbed and said that it was from either a rabbit or a pedophile. This is like or a pedophile rabbit. Well, no, this is like the worst "would you rather" game ever. Well, I'm taking the rabbit, quite frankly. I'm not playing anymore. (laughs) Now, when Gallagher asked her why she said it was from a pedophile, Sheila claimed that she hadn't said that. The officers asked if they could take the bone with them, but again, Sheila refused. And then she demanded that they leave her property. Get the fuck out and do not take my rabbit bone or sneakers with you. Or the walruses. Leave those. Yeah, these are my walruses. My horses are dirty, though. I mean, you might want to stay to clean them. Hey, baby, I'll clean your horses. (laughs) Based on what he gleaned during that shit show, Gallagher got a warrant to search the exterior of Sheila's house which was executed by officers from the Epping Police Department and the New Hampshire State Police on the morning of March 25th, 2006. When they arrived, they found Sheila covered with ashes and soot. The large bone they'd seen the day earlier was gone, as were Kenny's old sneakers. The police seized several pieces of evidence, and they interviewed Sheila convincing her to sign a consent to search form for the interior of her house as well. She told the police Kenny was a homosexual heroin addict who had been threatening to kill himself and set himself on fire. In that order. Apparently. He's tricky that way. Like, uh, what's that movie, Memento, right, where it all goes backwards? Oh, yeah, yeah, that's it. I'm going to kill myself and then I'm going to set myself on fire. With Captain Shaw's going to do it. That's how it's going to happen. Yeah. And he's going to laugh and laugh and laugh. (laughs) When they asked where he was, she pointed to a Walmart bag and said, he's in that bag. Inside the bag was a small amount of charred debris, but nothing immediately recognizable as human bones or teeth. Before officers took Sheila in for questioning, they patted her down and found she was carrying a loaded thirty-eight Smith & Wesson. When asked if she had any other weapons, Sheila pulled up her shirt, flashing her tartars at the police. Spring break! She then pulled down her pants. Downstairs spring break! Before they stepped in to stop the most awkward, unwanted strip tease ever. 
When they were taking her in for questioning, Sheila asked if she could bring one of her rabbits to the station with her, and they let her. Free now to look around the property unmolested, police found a large pair of pruning shears and head shears, a melted part of a knife and bone fragments in the burn pits, as well as several empty yellow diesel fuel containers, like the ones Sheila bought from Walmart when Kenny was in a wheelchair. They also found a notebook with an entry written by Sheila that said, Death, bury and shovel, incinerated, burned ashes, flushed, scatter, Five foot four, 110 pounds. Now, it's possible that she was actually describing um, the fact that she had killed and disposed of the body of another small man, or maybe those are her song lyrics and she's a really bad writer. I kind of think it's kind of catchy. The deputy chief medical examiner and a forensic anthropologist were able to prove that the bone fragments were not rabbit, they were human. Um, There were some fragments of a skull, spinal bones, a rib, forearm bones, hand bones, feet bones. They were connected to the, well, the leg bones and the knee bones. Wars tusks. Um, There were toes. There were teeth. A lot of these bones were later revealed to be Kenny's. Inside Sheila's house, investigators found blood in pretty much every single room. It was on chairs, walls, kitchen cabinets, in the sink. It might have been from the rotting steak. Um, It was like two feet up from the floor and also splattered on the ceiling. It was obvious that not all the blood splatter had occurred at the same time as some of it was old and covered in layers of dust. Like you. While other stains were quite new. Not like you. Experts matched some of the blood to Kenny using a DNA profile that was taken when he was in boot camp. In light of Kenny's probable murder, Sheila's ex-partner, chiropractor Bill Labar, his autopsy was looked at again but the medical examiner stood by his original findings. The next day, Sheila was interviewed by officers from the Epping Police Department. During the interview, she refused to call Kenny by his real name, claiming, he wished to take my last name. He wished to be known as Adam Olympian Labar. Sheila stroked a sad rabbit on her lap and was rather unfocused during the interview. She's the worst Bond villain ever. When, when asked if she liked Kenny, Sheila replied, My first thought when I saw him was that he was a pedophile. He's of legal age. He wants to chase me. He chased me. I didn't chase him. So... She also said he was having sex with his mother and molesting children, and that she stopped sleeping with him when she found out he was a pedophile. Sheila claimed she hired a private polygraphist to administer a polygraph on Kenny about being a pedophile, and it proved he was. Later, she said that him being a pedophile didn't come up during the polygraph. There isn't any proof there actually was a private polygraph conducted. Yeah, it's unlikely. Yeah. Sheila said the last time she saw Kenny was when she went to sleep on March 21st or 22nd, and when she woke up, he was gone. She also said the Irish and the Secret Service were after her. The Irish Secret Service? No, the Irish and the Secret Service. Oh, the, oh, the Irish. I'm looking for that Kenny. Where'd he be? <laughs> no, Where'd, the, I'm a secret agent. I'm an Irish secret agent. Don't they want her gold? Oh, we want your gold. Where's your gold? Or your wallet. <laughs> Maybe. I'm a, I'm a captain. I'm a sea captain and I'm an Irish Secret Service agent and I want your gold. <laughs> no, they want to steal the royalties from her um, successful acting and singing career. Oh, yeah. Well, well those lyrics were... They were, they were gold. They were very fine. 
They were gold. <laughs> there was gold in those lyrics. Ah, there's gold in them, their lyrics. The defence would go on to say that the way she behaved during the interview was proof of her mental illness, while the prosecution said she acted this way to try and set up an insanity defence. Sheila was indicted on one count of first-degree murder for the death of Kenneth County on April 1st, 2006, but by then she was in the wind. She hadn't been seen since she hitched a ride with a truck driver and then had sex with him in a motel room on March 28th. Classy. Mm. The authorities spoke to the press and gave out Sheila's description in an effort to track her down. In order to disguise herself, Sheila gave herself a clown makeover, which involved dyeing her hair bright red and cutting it shorter. She then picked up with another man in Dorchester, Massachusetts on March 29th. They spent the next few days in hotel rooms together, boinking. On April 1st, he'd had enough of Sheila and he went to stay with his cousin. Now that's where he saw a story about her on the news. Worried that he might be considered her accomplice, he contacted the police. Responding to the tip, police arrested Sheila on the afternoon of April 2nd in a shopping mall in Revia, Massachusetts. She was found with weed and $83,000 in cash, as well as a bank check. She told the arresting officers that TV executives would probably make a made-for-TV movie about her and wondered what famous actress would play her in it. I mean, oh, lady, you're not getting someone like Julia Roberts for a made-for-TV movie. You should consider yourself lucky if you get Danny DeVito. I would consider myself lucky if Danny DeVito played me in a telly movie. Due to the state of the evidence found on her property, a trial couldn't take place for several months while it was being processed. After analysis, some of the blood found was proven to have come from Mikey Deloge. They also discovered the bones of three toes belonging to unidentified men elsewhere on the property. So either they left the farm without their toes... Or our gal Sheila is a serial killer. On February 12, 2008, Sheila entered a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity and filed a notice of insanity defence. The prosecution announced that we'll be charging Sheila with the murder of Michael Delonge as well. Sheila then admitted to killing both men but said she was not legally responsible as she had been insane at the time. Since Sheila had already confessed to the murders, the jury's only task during the five-week trial was determining whether she was insane when she killed Mikey and Kenny. The burden of proof was on the defence to show that Sheila suffered from a mental illness which had caused her to murder the two men. Her defence lawyers argued that Sheila was a delusional woman who believed every man in her life was a pedophile. Jurors heard some of the tape recordings Sheila made of herself interrogating and berating her victims. Malcolm Rogers, a forensic psychologist who testified for the defence, said that these tapes proved that Sheila had a schizophrenic effect disorder or a delusional disorder, which caused her to mistakenly believe the men were pedophiles and to kill them. Rogers also said that Sheila believes she once died of a drug overdose, but was sent back to Earth as an angel with special powers on a mission to kill pedophiles. Defence psychiatrists said that Sheila was sexually abused as a child and projected her own experience onto her victims. But that wasn't quite the same story the prosecution's psychiatrist told the court. In a taped interview conducted by Dr. Drutanis, the prosecution's forensic psychologist, Sheila said she was driven to kill Mikey because he was hurting and killing her animals. In another interview, she said Kenny's death was an accident and that she burned his body to keep his mother from seeing it, 
not to cover up a crime. Dr. Juktanis testified that he had found Sheila to be sane based on his review of the case file and interviewing Sheila three times for over four hours each. He said her paranoia and passionate obsession with pedophilia were signs of mood and personality disorders that were severe enough to maybe cause her to be psychotic at times, but there was not enough evidence to show that a mental illness is what caused Sheila to kill Mikey and Kenny. Dr. Juktanis testified. She answered questions well. She tried to explain evidence away that made her look bad. This is not what someone sees over many hours in a person who is psychotic. Prosecutors told the jury she knew what she did in both murders was legally wrong. She made careful decisions to conceal her crimes and systematically destroy evidence and added that Sheila's stories about pedophiles were a way of allowing her to humiliate the men she killed. It's all wrapped up in Sheila's need to control, dominate, and humiliate. And that's what she has on her Tinder profile. <laughs> that's, yeah, she probably does. Sheila's history of violence with men also came up. An officer spoke about the first time he went to Labar Farm in 1988 for a domestic disturbance call. He found Wilfred Labar with scratch marks all over his face and neck. He also responded to domestic violence calls where Sheila had harmed ex-husband Wayne Ennis and ex-boyfriend James Brackett. After 13 hours of deliberations, the jury decided to have fried clams for lunch. Like you do. Good choice. <laughs> they also found Sheila to be sane and guilty on both charges. She was sentenced to life in prison without parole in June 2008. After the verdict, Kenny County's mother, Carolyn Lodge, said... Sheila Labar took advantage of my son, who was a kind, caring, gentle young man who could not socially defend himself. She was a master of evil who deliberately tortured him. Sheila Labar stripped my son of all his dignity and self-worth, and in the end, she murdered him. For two years, my son could not rest. Now he can rest. Sheila appealed in 2010, but was rejected. She never did say who the other toe bones found on the farm belonged to. Since the men she preyed on were often transient and disconnected from their friends and family, there may be even more than three victims. Wow. I know it's chilling, isn't it? I'm sure there's at least three, if not more. Now, you have a personal connection to this, don't you, Kate? You, Tell us about yeah, that. Yeah, I met Sheila once, and I used to work in the New Hampshire prison system. I love that you met her. Please tell us every everything that you that you thought about her. Well, so I was not clinically involved in her case, so I'm allowed to to speak about her. Uh, I was okay. at the women's prison up in Goffstown, New Hampshire to to work with somebody else, and I was in like a waiting room. And there was this woman there who there are some okay, think of a walrus. <laughs> That <laughs> I'm always thinking of walruses. Again, I know. Come on, but Kate. The, there are some people who are like sort of physically unattractive, and yet they have a very sort of sexy demeanor, like a sexual sensuality. Sure, like a walrus. You know, like a walrus. Yeah. And <laughs> and but at the same time, like there's a chill to her. Like a, I mean, if we're going with ocean animals, then let's pull in a shark as well. Like the very flat uh -huh. stare, and I. Right, predatory. You know, exactly. And I asked the the corrections officer that was nearby, she's like, who is that? And, you know, kind of got, uh, got back like, a, you don't know? 
I'm like, that's why I asked my friend, you know, <laughs> and they said, that's Sheila Labar. And she was huge in the news at this time. I don't remember if it was right before or right after she was convicted because there were uh, more than one reason why she would have been at that prison at that time. And so, because, like I said, I didn't work with her clinically. And so I, I can't speak to that, but I was certainly familiar with the name and there was definitely a holy shit. And then you look and you're like, yeah, like I can understand why she didn't have a hard time finding sexual partners. Um, so let me guess, you hit on her. And even if you didn't hit on her, she would think that you did, right? She had that come hither, um, you know, the, like exaggerated sex walk. Like she was wearing high heels. Yeah. She That's wow. the name of Barney's like, fourth album. Like Barney, really, <laughs> from what I hear. Exaggerated sex walk. Well, I'm hey, glad baby. You, hey, baby. I'm, I'm glad you didn't uh, have any uh, clinical uh, uh, association with her because then you wouldn't be able to talk about it. Um, so this is good. It's, uh, yeah, Wow. That's some insight into what kind of person she is, that's for sure. She's gross, like intimidating, and I'm. it's kind of hard to shake my tree, um, not in a sexual yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, because you're not scared of conflict like most people. <laughs> yeah, no, that's one way of putting it. No, I'm not. Um, I don't really give a shit what people think, and that's part of working in a prison is you have to be able to stare somebody down, and she made me uncomfortable. And now in terms of the, you know, um, the, san- the insanity defense, in terms of her sanity, like... What's your opinion on that, your professional opinion? Well, it's a real low bar to, to be considered legally sane. Like, I hate that they use the same words for clinical mm-hmm. insanity versus legal. Like, I would really rather them separate it out like crazier than a shit house rat versus not guilty by reason of insha- insanity. Like, that's a lot easier to understand. In, in, sh- in shit house ratity. Like, she is well over the shit house rat line. You know, I mean, not knowing the difference between a rabbit and a pedophile, you know, not good. Um, yeah, I feel like she did know the difference. You think? <laughs> between those two. Well, she definitely knew what she was doing was wrong, and that's that's enough and for them to um, not buy that, right? Well, exactly. The, the, in order to be legally insane, you're not guilty by reason of insanity. You have to not realize what you're doing is wrong. You have to not understand what a the differences between like a police officer and a judge and like a tree basically and well the thing they all have in common is that they probably all wanted to bang sheila right well yeah i mean according to sheila according sorry to sheila, also the lamppost <laughs> and the occasional walrus yes oh man the ceiling so hot for her right and so i mean but that's that's a seriously low bar you know, I mean, yeah, most a low labar, a low labar. That's what it was. That's, that's exactly it. what it was. And so you can be both clinically crazier than a shit house rat, and legally sane. Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? So I mean, I yeah. don't consider her to be sane. Like I think she's personality disordered meaning like she just doesn't see the world the way healthy people do but she wasn't like being driven by psychosis she knew what she was doing she knew to hide it i agree her the only thing that i would point out is that her her pattern of moving around massachusetts was bizarre i think she was actually heading back to new hampshire because dorchester or you know as locals say dorchester uh is (laughs) way south of rivia so she left New Hampshire, she went down to the south side of Boston, and Revere is 
several miles north of Boston. So I think she was actually heading back to New Hampshire. She was New Hampshire crazy, but not New Haven crazy. Well, I mean, very <laughs> few of us are. Hey, Tara, I have a question for you. Yeah, sure. What is it? What is Ozzy as? Oh, for oh. fuck's sake. You don't know either. That's I'm meant to ask that question. Come on. Oh, Does no okay. one know what it is? What is it? Ozzy as a short stories of criminal stupidity with a quintessentially Australian flavour. Would you like to hear one? Not particularly. I'd like to hear four. Four? Twelve. I better warm up. Auction them. Auction them. Go. (laughs) A topless sunbather put the safety of her neighbours over the safety of her spectacular rack recently when she jiggled into action to save an apartment building from going up in flames. Hey, baby. Fitness instructor Tash Bennett otherwise known as Tits Out Tasha, saved a Darwin resort unit from the fiery pits of hell when she hosed down the flames coming from a palm tree that was on fire while still topless from sunbathing. Tits Out Tasha was sunbathing by the pool of the Alatai Apartments in Darwin City when a nearby palm tree caught on fire. She said, Oh, it's just lying there with some ash fell on top of me. Wasn't really paying attention because I was listening to me iPod. Once she realised what was going down in flames, tits out Tasha raced to reception for help before rushing back to the pool to use the fire hose. It was only after battling the blaze for five whole minutes that she looked down and realised she was still, well, tits out. Of her sexy safety predicament, she said, Aw, I was pretty red-faced on the day, having to hold myself while running to reception, eh? I was sunbaking. I wasn't actually prepared. But you've got to put out the fire before you deal with that. After the blaze, tits out Tasha resumed her sunbaking while she waited for the fire crew to arrive. Hey, baby. (laughs) G'day, baby. Her husband, Daniel McNamee, Dano said he was very proud of his wife's quick action in the emergency, saying, Oh, apparently the flames are pretty high. Could have taken out the building. She's just lying there thinking, Oh, gee, it's getting pretty hot here, eh? She was probably thinking to herself, Did it suddenly get hotter or is it just me? One witness, Johnny McCoy, definitely nicknamed Macca, said the heroic hottie had a full audience of the block's residents while she battled the blaze. Why the fuck were there a bunch of gawking wankers watching tits out Tasha instead of fucking helping her? That is not fair dinkum at all, you lazy, pervy bastards. Mm, good point, Tara. Macca went on to say, oh, For the record, oh, she was pretty smoking on herself, eh? But provided all the boys a pretty awesome sight for an otherwise typical Tuesday, eh? Oh, <laughs> uh, no. I don't, I don't care for Macca. I don't like Macca at all. I think he's a tool. Yeah, Macca's a tool. Bitch, he did not have Help a nice lady. Hose. No, he no. did not. He's probably embarrassed about how inefficient his hose was, and that's why he didn't bother rushing down to help. But yeah, well done, Tasha. That was a fine well Aussie ass. Done. A fine Aussie ass. Well, thank you for discovering it for mm. me. Oh, that's all right. So this brings us to the end of the episode. That was a wicked pisser. Thank you guys for letting me play. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> thank yes. you, Kate. You're uh, welcome back anytime. Absolutely. I love that we've finally been able to get you on and to actually speak to you as opposed to just yes. social media f- messagey friends. And, and me, me so, sending naked pictures. I understand. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, now you know that we're into walruses, you'll be able to, like, cater it more to our liking. Yeah, clothed walruses. <laughs> yeah, clothed walruses. I mean, arseless chapped walruses, kind of funny, but not very sexy. Yeah, no, I want the full Monty on my walrus. <laughs> so, yeah, thank you so much for coming on the for, well, You're not really coming on the show. Thanks so much for I'm doing just a, a breathing heavy. That's all I'm mm. doing. I'm, well, you're still awake as well. It's damn late where you are, so well done. Thanks for listening, and thanks to our patrons. I've been Kate Wallinger. I've been Tara Saraban. And I've been Barney Black. And this is Bloody Murder and Ignorance Was Bliss. That was wicked fun, Kate. <laughs> and we'll be back soon. Goodbye and adios. Didn't you feel better before you knew that? And keep kicking against the pricks. <laughs> hey! <laughs> wow, so, that's another one in the can. Ah, uh, well, not, not in that. the sexy can. Not in the sexy podcast awards in sexy Sydney that we're going to go to soon. So Barney and I have to go to the podcast awards in Sydney because we're nominated. Humble brag. Um, but yeah, like we've been thinking about hotel arrangements and we've decided that we'd like, well, we'd like to just share a room, obviously, because well, the sexual you know, tension is powerful. The cost cutting and stuff, really. Oh, so I thought yeah. it was just, well, why do we need a heart-shaped bed if it's just about cost cutting? Well, yeah, we need the heart-shaped bed. Well, how about well, yeah, you get the mirrors like over on the ceiling? Using sonic pressure on my head since 1997. Well, I want it to be like that um, honeymoon suite at Niagara Falls that was in Superman. Remember Superman that? Superman 2, I think it was. Yeah, yes. it was the most romantic thing ever. It was Lava garish as pillars. fuck. And it had like um, a heart-shaped um, like spa bath. And also what we want, we want it all to be in one room so that you can see each other shower and go to the toilet. But we have a very specific toilet demand for this hotel. Barney, would you like to tell Kate? Well, they're two toilets and they face each other. So we, we can look each other in the eye while we're doing our business. Yeah, we want to be able to look each other in the eye while we're... Uh, defecating. Defecating, weeing even. Yeah. And maybe we could record an episode while doing it. I mean, I can't think of any other way, really. Are you ever going to be able to maintain eye contact after that? Oh, yeah, sure. Yeah, no. We'll be right. That's all that's matters. It's been nearly 20 years now. It's been over 20 years. We, I reckon we can handle it. Weird, right? Walrus porn. Walrus porn. How does it start? It always does. So simply. <laughs> How does a walrus porn addiction start? How are you going, Kate? What time is it there? It is just about three in the morning. Fuck, man. You've done great in keeping the energy up. How are you feeling? I'm okay. I'm... Uh... I'm good. I have to. I have to. One of my kids has to stay home tomorrow, so I have to come up with new head games for him. Wilfred, who went by the name of Bill, was a chiropractor with his own practice who also owned a house. Oh, you fucker! <laughs> <laughs> it's a house farm. Yeah. You oh, you house grow houses. <laughs> exactly, right. and they have tiny vaginas. <laughs> but I would like a house farm. Now I want two. You're helping. It's fine. Yeah, but you know when you're helping and, and someone doesn't need help? You're just being annoying, really, aren't you? Yeah, you are. Yeah, yeah. Barney will second that. <laughs> also, he has no hair anymore and he has his moustache and he looks a little bit like a walrus. Cuckoo-cachoo. Barney is the walrus. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, a sexy walrus. I was going hey, for 70s baby. porn star myself, but I'm, I'm happy with walrus. <laughs> much of a much to me. very close, isn't it? There might be walruses in certain porn. 
Walrus porn. Well, that's walrus, my favourite genre. Walrus porn is riddled with walruses. <laughs> <laughs> that's my quote of the day. <laughs> we make a lot of it here in Australia. It's normally just Barney in a walrus suit. Yeah, no. I've, <laughs> dolphin porn is so 2010. Yeah, like seriously. Just close all, up those blowholes and get on with it. Yeah, bastards. it's all about those tusks. Yeah. Oh, you know that song by Fleetwood Mac, Tusk? No, you know. It's about. it's about walrus porn. No, it's know. about getting hard for walrus porn. <laughs> it's got a double meaning. Yeah, you can't make it. Don't kink shame me. <laughs> I mean, other people. Don't kink we shame me. We don't want to yuck people. anybody's walrus. Oh, sorry, what? <laughs> other people. Don't don't kink shame other people. It's not me. It's not me. I'm pretty sure it was you. Yeah, I mean, come on. What would Freud say? Don't you walrus shame me. <laughs> <laughs> don't you walrus porn shame me. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah, that's what I hear. So, okay. Patients in and make more, more money. <laughs> what the fuck went on then? <laughs> more, more, more money, more, more problems. <laughs> <laughs> so Bill would... So Bill could fit more... So Bill could fit... Canyon sex. Fuck. Canyon sex. Red dirt. <laughs> Red sand everywhere. I'm a hobo. <laughs> oh, no, I can't. <laughs> and I'm black. here for you. <laughs> so, do you want to come clean my horses? Hey, hey, they're very dirty. They're and so dirty. no hands are risen. So dirty. No, no. <laughs> <laughs> I have very dirty horses that need your hands all over them. On the tape, Mikey can be heard going along with it just to... Pe- to placate her. Now, I see, I told you, Kate, we eventually can't talk. On the tape. To play Kate, to play Kate's tape to her. Walrus porn. Uh, Canyon's sex. I have some very dirty horses. Oh, yeah, the walruses don't like deserts. No, no. But they'll do it. (laughs) Yeah, well, they'll do it. For the right right amount of buckets of fish, they'll do it. (laughs) You can get a walrus to do anything. Well, if you've got enough buckets of fish. Yeah. What else are they going to do? Yeah, well, I mean, you can tell that it doesn't just look like a walrus for no reason. Cuckoo, cachoo. Okay. Here she... I'm just going to start from the beginning and hope it helps. (laughs) Here she tape recorded herself interrogating him about sexually abusing a young girl. On the tape, Mikey can be heard going along with it just to placate. No, fuck. Placate. Placate. On the tape, just to make her happy, just to... I reckon I can do it. <laughs> oh, no, you don't want to get too close to that. Detachable walrus, though. I mean, that's hot. Because oh, you don't want to fall in love. <laughs> you sound like you've been down that path before, yeah. Barney. Tell me about the time you fell in love with <laughs> the a voice walrus of experience. Well, the People wal- should know. The walrus says, What is this thing you call human love? And I said, well, they don't get too close to me. I'm getting paid to do this. And, and then, uh, then, then what happened? Well, we got this sitcom together and, I don't know, the rest is history. Uh, <laughs> we have very ugly children. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Coo-coo-coo-choo. They walked to the door and knocked, but Sheila wouldn't open it. Hello? Hello? <laughs> Anybody home? <laughs> it's going straight into the outtakes. Nobody here but us. Oh, I'm sorry. I fucked it up for you. <laughs> sorry. We do a lot of fucking up too so that we can get outtakes. <laughs> I just, nobody here but us walruses. I get it. <laughs> Sexy. <laughs> Sexy walruses. Walry? Oh, yeah. What are you wearing? Oh, my walrus suit. Tusks. 
crutchless walrus suit. <laughs> crutchless tusks. I don't know. <clears throat> when the officers arrived at the farm, the gate was closed. We'll be right back with part two of the Shia LaBeouf story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God, I'd love to hear that one. <laughs> oh, so yeah, much Sh- murder. Shia LaBeouf, tiny vagina. Uh, we'll be right back with part two of the Sheila LaBeouf story right after some messages from our sponsors. Oh, no. God, no. <laughs> <laughs> We'll be right back with part two of the Sheila Labar story right after this. Getting increasingly upset, she told Gallagher that her son could not be on his own. (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like you can't either. I can't. No, I cannot be left alone. (laughs) Oh, well, mangle sentences. Um, And walruses. Getting the... (laughs) Well, fucking walruses. And saying why. Do you want maybe three whys are okay there? Too many whys? It's what I, can, it said. I can fix that on the edit. All right, cool. I can put in more if you want. I want 50. All of the wires. Why? You want, why? Was, I, yeah, I, I was thinking maybe 12. 12 Then the tape ended. Was that all right? Does anyone think I need to redo any of that? Well, besides there not being enough wires, I think it was great. <laughs> all right. Okay, we don't call them flashlights here. We call them light ones. Yeah, we call them um, handheld daylight thingies. Yeah. Oh, just... hang on. Sorry. Handheld daylight cunts. <laughs> and break. Yeah, and we, 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 um... we taped them to the head of walruses while we're having sex with them. <laughs> just so we can see better. And brighteners of the walrus. That's right. That's right. Well, yeah, we, we basically just call them walrus brighteners because <laughs> that's normally when you want a torch. Yeah. Oh, my God. I'm having evil thoughts about walruses now. I'll now? keep them to myself. Now? Just now? now? Wow. <laughs> well, even more evil. Oh. I don't know. I've been in a few bad ones. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if this is allowed to be common knowledge, but um, for, for, for Barney's, one of Barney's brothers, um, Bucks Nights, Barney dressed up as a lady and performed a strip show that horrified everyone who was there. <laughs> yeah, I was halfway through and then I realised this is the worst idea ever, but I'm just going to have to keep going. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I stripped for my brother. That's very sexy. In a red dress and a blonde beard. That's very New Hampshire, it was, actually. It was not. It really was not. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually... I wasn't there either. So on my way, not far from Epping at all, maybe 15-minute drive, there is what has to be my favourite shopping plaza in the history of shopping plazas, where in the same building, there is a fireworks store, a comic shop, a tattoo parlor and a topless dancing club strip. I don't know. I haven't been in there in a while. And one stop shop. Yeah, and next to it is a cemetery. Oh, that's perfect. Oh. It's amazing. Is there some kind of like chicken wing joint there too? Because you'd want to eat. I guess you could get the wings at the strip club. Maybe, maybe a walrus petting zoo. Maybe. <laughs> um, is that too much to ask? Walrus glory hole, more like it. <laughs> walrus glory hole. Oh my god, that's the name of my fourth album. <laughs> I'm going to rename one of my kids right now. <laughs> really, it's a walrus glory hole. I love it. It's catchy. Yeah, we'll just call him Wally, but, you know. <laughs> if they ever get in trouble on the playground, man, they're going to regret it. Oh, that's right. <clears throat> I'm sorry, just give me one second because I screwed up all my cords. 
Oh, no, I've got another line here, I think. Yeah, I know, but um, I'm wriggling. Oh, really? Oh, you fucking so wriggler. I want that wriggling. Yeah, I think I'm going to be more quiet now. Well, that's the way forward if you're podcasting, to be well, yeah, as quiet I mean, as possible. At least a lot of our reviews are like that. One of them just said, just fast forward through Tara's bit. That yeah, was I like a review. that one. <laughs> well, the last one it was my favourite. Sexy Barney is my favourite. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yeah. Hey, those baby. two Barney fans are very excited. Yeah, those two Barney fans, <laughs> those two good reviews specifically mentioning me. I really like those ones. <laughs> there are actually a few. Remember there was that one that went, Barney, trending up, Tara, trending down. Yeah, I wrote that. <laughs> <laughs> it was fucking stupid, you cunt. I'm surprised you didn't recognise me when I spat on you the other day. Actually. Yeah, well, there's that too. We'll get to that. Not Trust right. me, that's coming. Later she said that him... <laughs> a fucking Yoda. No. <laughs> that was actually... I'm fucking Yoda. Yoda. <laughs> I thought he was a walrus. Uh, I thought he was a little mouldy walrus. How still you backwards talking little fuck. <laughs> yeah. Oh god, they got that. Also, you know what? He has that like um the, the skin the colour of green olives as well. Oh, he's jaundiced. Ooh, it's all tying in. Barney loves a jaundiced little rotting walrus. But I mean, he doesn't love love them because oh. he's he wants to like make sure he's emotionally not engaged. It's my favorite Bond film, Quantum Quantum of Walrus. <laughs> I think that's like the fifth Matrix movie, isn't it? It's Quantum of Walrus. Yeah. You need to be shorter to play me, <laughs> and more bald, and less attractive. Thanks. Ouch. With a much smaller penis. Wow, just ask the walruses. <laughs> it's all true. <laughs> and he'd have to be into walrus porn. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.